Good morning, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Good Morning Camera. I am one of your hosts, Gadget, and as always, joined by my good friend, Anthony. Anthony, how are you doing today? Very, very good, my friend. I'm excited to be here. There's a lot of good announcements out, so this uh, this episode is going to be jam-packed. We got some killer cameras coming uh, coming out these days, so it's a good time to be in this uh, industry. This is going to be fun. We're going to talk about our backup best practices. How do we mitigate data loss to ensure that we keep our footage and don't lose them in the future? We're also going to talk about the brand new Blackmagic Pocket Cinema Camera 6K Pro and what that brings to the table. And if it's a camera that might be the right one for you. But first, mm. but first... We're going to talk about the Sony FX3. This camera was just announced a couple days ago, and we're looking at a camera that largely resembles a camera that Sony already announced. So, Anthony, can you tell us <laughs> a little bit about this camera and, and what it does? What, what does it bring to the table? So, for sure, this this camera, I think it... it it took a little bit of research to figure out like this camera, why this camera is actually useful and why it might be actually a good buy. Um, my initial impressions were kind of mixed because they were calling it like a cinema camera, but then like, is the A7S III also a cinema camera? Because there's not a whole lot of difference. Uh, the FX3 has the ability to take pictures, but just not like a viewfinder. That was kind of like funny and like, confusing and they also threw in like a, a random kind of feature like like the fan and it doesn't it doesn't need a fan because uh it doesn't shoot 8k it doesn't shoot 6k it shoots like the the standard high quality 4k high megabits uh per second in terms of like video uh features and and specs but like it's all like pretty much the same as the A7S III, except there's one major big difference and we'll, we'll kind of get into it uh, as we kind of compare the two cameras. So what, how does this differ from the A7S III? Because we're looking at something that is largely the same footprint, albeit the FX3 doesn't have that electronic viewfinder. What yeah. is the differentiating features between these two cameras? Uh, in terms of the actual features, like it's they're all very very similar. Uh, the the megapixels is a little bit different, so it's this camera may be a little bit better in low light uh, for for video. Uh, this is a very video center uh, uh, centered kind of camera. Uh, if you're a high end kind of video shooter, or you're somebody who has a cinema camera and wants a B camera but doesn't want to spend the cinema camera kind of bucks, uh, I think this is a really good option. Uh, and the one feature that I was kind of talking about is uh, the XLR um, little adapter that actually is a very big game changer um, for this particular camera. And that that's it's one of the reasons why it give, it's a big advantage over something like the A7S III. Um, so a lot of people are kind of mixed. Uh, and I think this camera left a little bit more, left us with a little bit more questions than answers. But uh, the the when you compare the XLR adapter, um, uh, compare that to like the the standard XLR adapter that you would have bought with the A7S III uh, and the price actually is a little bit cheaper um, going with the FX3 uh, and then you just get a very video centric kind of camera so kind of confusing but this is classic Sony they love to have like eight different models with like very few differences between like a few of them but this uh, camera is very specific to a, a specific type of shooter and a specific situation right yeah, so yeah. Uh, a little bit confusing there. 
Yeah, when I was researching these cameras, one of the things that stood out to me was that, yeah, it does have a fan now. And I never really read about any heat issues or any real problems, even when I was testing it with the A7S III and overheating. And so I wonder if that's more of a, a safety to kind of just increase that thermal ceiling a bit more for more intensive projects that maybe they're in the Serengeti trying to capture, you know, 4K yeah. slow motion footage. Um, and you look at how the camera turns on, they move to where the switch is, and now that front dial uh, that you have under the shutter button is for zooming so to go wide mm -hmm. and then telly if you need it to and yes there's no viewfinder and there's more mounting points and you know yeah. i was looking at line and just similar to you i'm looking at the youtubers i'm looking at the reactions and it seems like people are asking well why don't i just get an a7s3 it's 400 cheaper and i've sort of come to a conclusion and you let me know if i'm wrong here i think a lot of the YouTube community and the enthusiast community kind of have this bottom up kind of perspective of like, well, we're going to graduate into an A7S 3 That's the top tier. Now you got something that's competing with that. You know, it doesn't make sense where I really think this is about lengthening the cinema line from Sony. So the people that are invested in an FX camera, the people that may have just picked up an FX6 and really enjoying that. And now they're looking for that B or C camera they're looking at this and they're like, well, I don't need an internal ND and I don't really need a viewfinder because I have a monitor attached. And you know what? I love that this has multiple mounting points, especially if I want to start shooting vertical footage. I think this is about Sony playing the game and really bringing a little bit more length to their cinema line, which historically, there wasn't a lot of options there, right? You had a handful 100%. of premium options. But now you have something that really goes from this, you know, great to excellent kind of range and a good amount of choice there. Yeah. And, and when you really do the math on on this, uh, the A7S 3 versus the FX3, like the, the A7S 3, the body only is priced at uh, 4799 And then if you want that XLR module, and let's be real like if you're a, if you're a serious video shooter you would rather have xlr than like 3.5 millimeter uh for for audio right so the, if you want to get the xlr module for the a7s3 that's an eight uh, another 800 dollars on top of that uh $4,799 so the fx uh the fx3 is actually priced at 5k and then you get the xlr unit and the and this like little like top handle so when you look at it this way like now that kind of makes sense uh and it really it really just goes to show like that they are making this for like the higher end kind of user almost as a B camera uh, to something like the FX6, uh, the FX9, that kind of thing. So it, it makes sense, but it took like a little bit of research and I can understand the confusion from the YouTube community because the A7S3 is kind of like a, a high end YouTube camera, but the FX3 is just, it's, it's in a different kind of realm. Uh, and, and when you compare that kind of price, uh, with the XLR adapter, it actually is a little bit cheaper. So, uh, if I was somebody who just picked up a A7S III, I would be a little rattled <laughs> that they, that they introduced this, uh, FX, uh, the FX3, uh, and I paid, you know, four, seven, uh, 4,799. And then I also got the XLR adapter for 800, right? So you're spending yeah. an extra little, little bit of money. Um, but yeah, it, it is, it is a little bit, of con a little bit confusing there. So yeah, it was yeah. an in interesting release. Yeah. With any of uh, these camera products, if you're buying early, you are taking that gamble that there might be something else down the line that might give you a little bit of buyer's remorse, but here's the thing. 
they're both great options. I mean, there's, it's yeah. mitigated by the fact that but these things are really great. But that's not the only camera that was released. Because I, I, I know you want to talk about the Sony camera a little bit more. But we got to talk about, we got to give a little bit of attention to the Blackmagic Pocket Cinema Camera 6K Pro. Now, this camera, they didn't really change a lot to the formula. You're looking at a camera that brings... ND filters, a new battery, so you're getting about 30, 33% more battery life, an adjustable LCD that's brighter on the back, you have the optional viewfinder, an extra mini XLR, and you know, the, the Pocket Cinema K, what it was known for is 6K recording, mm-hmm. raw recording, dual native ISO, and this now introducing, ushering in their Generation 5 color science. And they're doing all of this for, for about 2,500 US. You know, yeah, this 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 is wild. a pretty crazy package. So, Anthony, <laughs> I'm going to ask you, who is this camera for? Yeah, so I, I really think they, they brought their A game. And uh, just listening to, like, those people who are using previous models, it really shows that the company is paying attention when they bring in things like the tilting uh, screen, um, the bigger battery. Uh, previously, like those, you needed like 15 like LPE6 batteries to shoot like an hour on the previous models, right? So it's nice to get that extra little battery. Um, I think uh, if if uh, if I were to kind of segment this camera into like a, a, a specific type of user, it's probably going to be somebody who is like a, uh, maybe shooting music videos. Uh, the wedding videographers are really going to like this one. Somebody who's really looking to take a big step up in quality because that's what Blackmagic actually is. They are a beast of a camera and they're not going to break the bank. So, uh, yeah, I think it's going to be really exciting for somebody who is just wanting to step it up in quality because the, the footage looks unbelievable, eh? Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I, I think this comes with a caveat that you are forgoing autofocus. You know, you're going to an EF yeah, mount. exactly. And, and you got to be comfortable with pulling focus and really setting up your shots. But if you are someone that works maybe in the ad space, in the short film space, an aspiring mm-hmm. filmmaker, you know, to documentaries. have this documentaries, yeah. yeah, if you to get this kind of quality at this price point and all this feature set, it's a hard thing to argue. And, and you know what? More than anything, I love the fact that this is putting pressure on the likes of Sony, Canon, Nikon to bring more to the table, especially with raw recording. I personally feel like you got to give a little bit of credit to Blackmagic to really pushing that a bit more, even more than Red was doing it in the pro, yeah, you know, filmmaking space, right? That's exactly what I was going to say. Like these com- these cameras easily compete with like the high-end Red cameras, like even airy like cameras. Um, previously, you'd have to spend like, you know, 15, 20, 25,000 on like a camera to get like this kind of quality. Unbelievable that you can kind of get this kind of quality and shoot 6K uh, and and have really like a little, a whole, just a beast of a camera. Um, I love the fact that they also um, put out a battery grip for this camera. Um, so it changes like the form factor a little bit and gets you the extra juice. You could hot swap those batteries, which is also really key. Um, so yeah, just overall, killer camera i'm super excited about this one i was always a fan of black magic and this is just continuing on the black magic kind of train right 
Amazing, amazing. Now, if you guys have any thoughts about the FX3 or the Blackmagic Pocket Cinema Camera 6K Pro, be sure to tag us at Henry's Camera and use the hashtag Good Morning Camera, and let's continue the conversation on social. But first, or third, I should say, we're going to talk about <laughs> uh, something that I've wanted to visit with you and have this conversation with you, because I love talking to other professionals and, and learning from their best practices and what they do. And this is all about backing up footage. And I'll kind of preface this by giving you sort of my uh, strategy, because I have mm -hmm. experienced data loss. I had a horrific <laughs> disaster in which yeah. one of my previous Drobos completely failed on me and unfortunately lost some footage as a result. So now mm -hmm. I have a different kind of system. And what it results in is anytime I'm done a shoot and I'm back here, the first thing I'm doing is offloading all the memory cards onto some sort of working hard drive. So the hard drive that I'll be using to access this footage, to edit the footage, to manage the mm -hmm. footage, like it is the working hard drive. Once I've offloaded it there, I'll then offload from the memory card again to my main network attached storage. So this thing is about 60 terabytes of massive storage. And this is pretty much my primary archive where I store everything. I mm -hmm. then have that set up, and this is where there might be some variances, and it depends on your level and how much content you record and capture. I have this being backed up to the cloud through Backblaze, and it's a great service where, you know, it's pretty inexpensive, six or seven bucks a month, and it'll back up one computer and one network-attached drive. And if you are an mm -hmm. enterprise kind of level shooter, and I mean you're a pro and you're capturing, you know, hundreds of gigs of content uh, per production, they also have what's called B2 storage. It's almost like Amazon's iceberg storage where you can upload a lot of data up there. And it's very inexpensive. Mm -hmm. So this is kind of my system. I'm curious, Anthony, how do you manage your footage? What are some best practices that you employ? Yeah, I, I'm pretty much in the same kind of boat as you. Like I'll edit off of like an SSD uh, because hard drives have just gotten so fast. It's just nice that you can just plug in your SSD drive and then uh, edit right off of that and not have like the the, the, uh, the delay, um, which is quite nice. I also agree. I think cloud storage is really like the best thing since sliced bread for photographers and videographers. Uh, before we were, we were kind of plagued with like the orange hard drive uh, syndrome, right? Where you'd have these things like popping up everywhere. They were all over the studio, but a subscription to like Dropbox or something where you can just get it on the cloud Cloud. Uh, you pay a little bit per month, per year, whatever it is. Uh, I really think that is one of the best ways to do it. I personally uh, have my SSD drive always like sitting right next to my laptop. Uh, if you put like the Velcro on the back of your laptop, like a lot of photographers do, that way you can stick the, the SSD on the Velcro of your laptop and not have it like jingle around. Uh, I love that idea. Um, and then everything gets dumped onto either the cloud um, to go to like say a phone or something like that because I'm always thinking like for social media or whatever. Uh, I always like offload like little clips over to my phone, um, have a backup on my phone. But uh, for bigger projects, they definitely do get stored on something like a, a, por a portable hard drive that is 
that generally just stays at home, something like a six terabyte kind of drive. Um, but the rule of three is is definitely the th- the thing to t- kind of take away. Uh, it, I would I would start to get uncomfortable when uh, uh, one hard drive goes down and you only have two copies, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I might have to look at that three. You know, one of the things. I learned from a mentor, you know, almost over a decade ago is when you're looking at your storage and your photos and all that kind of stuff, just remember two is one and one is none. If you got exactly. two places, you really got it in one place. And if you got it in one place, you have it in no yeah. places because, you know, it all it takes is one catastrophe, one technology just failing on you or, you know, knock on wood, a, a disaster in your home or whatever it may be. And you lose all that footage. And I'll tell you right now. Money can't bring that back. <laughs> you know, you can you, replace the technology. You cannot bring those uh, memories back. Do you have like a specific brand of hard drive that you kind of prefer? Yeah. So, you know, uh, I generally go with the Lacey Rugged drives and then the Samsung mm-hmm. SSD drives as working drives. Yeah. So what I'll use is I'll yeah. use an SSD for photography and I'll use the Rugged drives for video. And then mm-hmm. I, I used to have a Drobo. And I, you know what? I'm just going to go out and say it. I do not recommend a Drobo solution, they are, they use a proprietary RAID solution. And what that means is the way in which they organize and access mm-hmm. your files when you copy and paste them over is really proprietary to them. And mm-hmm. as a result, if you need to recover the data or one of the drives fails and you can't restore it, it becomes a very uh, expensive uh, solution to kind of resolve. So I've mm-hmm. moved over to, I was looking at Synology and I found another one, QNAP. And QNAP is a relatively newer company, but they are kind of like the Android to Synology's iPhone kind of uh, metaphor, I guess you could say. Not really. Gotcha. But what it is, is with Synology, you have something that is a very nice, pleasant user experience, not a lot of customization. And if you are willing to get nerdy with it, the QNAP offers a lot more customization. It is a network attached storage. I put in three, 12, uh, sorry, six 12 terabyte drives in here. Uh, and I arranged it as such, so they offer about 60 terabytes when you look at the backup of storage. And, yeah. you know, you can go in, log in through any sort of internet device and manage this. And there's a pretty good UI, all, not as nice as Synology, but it is crazy fast. It's crazy fast to access via uh, gigabit Ethernet or through USB-C uh, uh, Thunderbolt 3. So that's that's what I, I've been using right now. So if you are someone listening to this mm-hmm. that is looking for that sort of pro enterprise level storage solution, I I would say look at QNAP. You know, it it is a bit of an investment, um, but you are building something for the long, long term, something that's going to grow with you for, you know, five, if not 10 years, right? Yeah. What I love about this particular topic is just like, these are like the things that just take years to like learn and and kind of grasp, right? Uh, these are not the things that you get like taught. These are all trial by error. We all make the mistake of buying like the, the wrong hard drive or uh, burning like a hard drive by accident. I dropped a hard drive once and the whole thing failed. Um, so learning like those little like brands that actually are good uh, are, are something that that is super beneficial uh, for for any photographer and videographer, content creator in general. 
Yeah, yeah. And I will say this this got super, super nerdy. So if you have any questions <laughs> or follow-up, let us know. I will tell you, I am not an IT expert. I am not a network storage solution uh, expert by any means. I learned all this stuff on YouTube. So when I had yeah. a crisis hit, I went to YouTube, got all my answers, got my recommendations, and that's how I built it out. So really something yeah. that anyone with enough enthusiasm can figure out for themselves. Listen, we're about to run out of time, but we have to talk about our creator draft pick so this is the part of the show where we pick some of our favorite pieces of gear or technology that have been making uh, a very big impact in our editing or you know in our workflow so anthony let's hit it off with you let's start off with you what is your creator draft pick for this episode for sure so i'm going to keep it nice plain and simple uh i really uh love tools that i use on the daily uh and i'm not really somebody who likes to use camera straps while i'm shooting video so the peak design leash is really the way to play it safe uh when you're out and about uh but when it's time to shoot video it has those like quick release kind of uh little uh little like dongles or attachments right um so the peak design leash is definitely going to be a creator draft pick to remember uh, i think this strap is a perfect blend of safety and functionality because it has those quick disconnects uh, when i am shooting video like i said i don't like to use like a strap it's the camera in my hand i want to be able to move wherever i want to be able to move but uh, I am also an everyday kind of photographer. Uh, when I leave the house, I take my camera with me and the Peak Design leash is perfect because I can just hang it by my hip. Uh, and I'm a tall guy, like I'm six seven, uh, And this strap is perfect for me even being a tall person because it can hang comfortably at my hip. And not a lot of straps uh, are, are kind of that long. So uh, very slim strap. Uh, it's not like a, exactly a sexy topic. Uh, but it's one of those things that, you know, it's, it's a strap that I just keep coming back to very simple, very easy, very comfortable. Uh, so that's what it is. Peak design leash. Amazing. Amazing. I'm going to talk about something. I'm glad you mentioned the leash and, and something that's a bit more affordable because I'm going to go to the opposite end of the spectrum. <laughs> and my creator draft pick is the M1 MacBook Air. Now I've been using a 16 inch decked out MacBook Pro for a lot of the work. And, you know, I've been on Apple's ecosystem for, you know, a long, long time now. And I've never quite loved the laptops I've been using. The last laptop I actually loved that I actually recommended nonstop for creatives was the 2012 when they made their first major redesign and you had all the mm -hmm. ports you needed and a retina display was introduced and an integrated graphics card. And it was such a great machine. And not since then have I felt truly in love with a laptop. Now this thing, it's a 13 inch laptop, right? It is a MacBook Air, okay? It has no fan, but it's running their M1 chip, which is the same sort of architecture you'd find in an iPhone, not something you'd find in a traditional PC. It's not running Intel. And that brought a lot of skepticism. It's like, really, you're gonna move to a different chip? How am I gonna run all my apps and all this kind of stuff? No, this thing, works like a dream. I've been using this not just for my emails and you know being on a call with you right now and browsing the web. Yeah. I've been using this to edit 4K videos. I've been using this to edit and grade color in DaVinci Resolve. I've been using this to manage my photography and even the apps that are not optimized for this chip yet, such as Photoshop and you know Premiere and those kind of things, they tend to run better on this machine than they did on my previous 
specked out 16 inch <laughs> yeah. MacBook Pro. It's kind of crazy. And you know, after using this for a couple of months, I because I wanted to be careful, I am saying that this is probably the first laptop you should look at if you're a creative and then kind of scale up as needed. I don't know yeah. if there's many laptops right now in the Apple world that are outperforming this thing. You know, they have the MacBook Pro version of this, which is 13 inch and has a fan. And in some specs, it does outperform this at, you know, the extreme end. But I got to say, I never felt like this machine couldn't keep up with me. I never felt like I was being slowed down by this machine. And the fact mm -hmm. that it has no fan and the battery life is crazy improved. This is my creator draft pick. And I'm telling you, if you're looking to sort of upgrade your machine, you really got to give a serious look at the new 13-inch MacBook Air with the M1 chip. That's my creator draft pick. Anthony! This brings us to the end of the show. Thank you all for listening. Be sure to leave a review on iTunes and subscribe to the show. We had a contest when this podcast launched. And I got to say, we announced it on social, but we'll say it here. Congratulations to Matt Tobin. I believe his last name is Tobin. Congratulations. He won a $250 Henry's gift card. But listen, don't be sad because every month we're going to be doing a gift card with the show. You just got to listen to the show. And when we call it out, you better be ready. But we have some exciting things planned for listeners. As always, my name's Gadget, his name's Anthony, and we'll see you next time.